Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I'm here with uh, my friend and producer, Max Kerman. Hello, Michael. But Max, this is a special episode because you're not the only one here for the opening. No, we're, we're switching it up a little bit. Uh, also here uh, in the pod studio is my younger brother, Greg Veerman. Hello. Hey, how's Hello it going? to both of you. Yes, you know us. Thanks both. for having me. Our pleasure. <laughs> the reason we're having Greg on the show today is because our feature guest is Will Butler. And his brother, of course, is the lead singer of the Arcade Fire, Win Butler. It's a brother theme, Max. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that we, we need to bring you in to, to tie it all together, Greg. Uh, we were just actually discussing before we started rolling uh, that Max and I, um, for those of you uh, that are listening and have followed us, we hosted the Much Music Countdown. Yeah, it's typically hosted by Liz Trenier and Tyrone. Yeah. But they were given the week off and they let us do it. But we, anyway, uh, we both, we PVR'd uh, the episode. And Greg. F- full disclosure, I actually haven't seen, I've seen the first two segments and then I haven't seen the rest of the show. Yeah. So you watched it with Greg? Yeah. So for our listeners, Greg is Mike's brother, but he's also my roommate. And uh, so Greg, Greg and I watched it on PVR the other day. So Greg, what was uh, your reaction to the show? Well, I, I liked it. You guys are good. <laughs> Here we go. Liz this is the story of Mike's life. Yeah, Mike like, puts himself out there to do something, and Greg kind of rolls his eyes. <laughs> yeah. And I'll say that Mike, so they were in a band together called San Sebastian, and then Mike would be singing this heartfelt ballad on stage, <laughs> and Greg, who was the bass player, <laughs> would sit behind Mike and just make funny faces at the crowd, just really taking the piss out of him as he's pouring his heart out on stage. Yeah, but they loved it. That's why I was the favorite. I was like... <laughs> I was I was like Ringo, you know. <laughs> you were like Ringo. So yeah. yeah so what did you make of uh, our our TV uh, debut? You guys are you guys are great. You know, it was there was it was just I can tell when you guys are on is the thing. So it's like for me, I'm not the best guy to ask because uh-huh. you guys are you just I can just tell when it's like when we're putting on our show faces. Yeah, putting on the show, you know, and it's uh-huh. like oh yeah, like it's like do that same thing, you know, in a bar at like midnight, and it's 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 like you know it's looser, it's funny. Um, you thought we were a little uptight, maybe. Um, you not thought, outside, it's like you thought we were too hammy for your tastes. A little too hammy for my taste. Yeah, little, you're you're hamming it up for the cameras. What you have to do, I guess. You know, you just can't be <laughs> can't be a cool guy on the on the on the countdown. This is my life, Max. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I do something, this is what I. This is how I. I know it's hard. Well, the thing about Greg and Greg and I talk a lot about pop culture is that who who's your holy trinity, Greg? Would you say for like dudes that like you look up to and think are the coolest of the cool? Who would you say uh, at uh, the top of the of the triangle? Top of the list, we got. Tim Fletcher from the Stills. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners, the Stills are one of my, also one of my favorite bands, but uh, sort of a, a semi-known in, uh, indie band from It's Montreal. very Greg to have Tim Fletcher at the top yeah. of his triangle. Jose Miguel Contreras <laughs> by Divine Right. <laughs> and I, by the way, I also love By Divine Right, but I don't think any of our listeners probably... I don't think much music has played a By Divine Right video since 1997. Continue. All right. Uh... Wait, who else is up there? Oh, I think uh, that Luca Londa is very cool. He's 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 pretty young and, and hip. I guess the point we're trying to make is that Greg has very indie tastes, and uh, and when we're when 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 hams like Mike and myself are, are being compared to like the coolest indie cred guy on the block, it, it's hard to compete. You can't win, but no. we, we'll you'll get, always seem lame and needy by comparison. I'll get a text from Greg going like, "Yo, did you see Tim Fletcher's like Instagram? He's wearing a cool black jacket. You should check that out." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, speaking of uh, Greg and his critiques, uh, so I was at H and M the other day, 
And I was kind of looking around. I was trying to get some props for a shoot, actually, for, that I was doing for much. But I noticed these cargo pants, and they looked good on the mannequin. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, I haven't worn cargo pants since, like, the late 90s. I'm like, maybe it's time to bring them back. So I buy them, whatever. And, and you should say H&M is, is carrying them now. It's not, like, a totally, like, out of left field. No. It's like H&M's, like, a pretty populous urban, like, clothing store. Sure. Am I that crazy to buy some cargos? From H&M? No. I didn't think so, Max. Uh, and then I wore them into work. And the first thing that happens is uh, my brother Greg and uh, our pop culture aficionado Shane Cunningham uh, immediately, what was it? What did you say to me? Uh, Shane came up and he was like, hey, Ice Cube, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> they were a little baggier than I guess I anticipated. So I was wearing like a polo shirt and some boots and a toque. I didn't think it was that jarring, but I had to basically endure a whole day of Greg and Shane making fun of my baggy pants. Uh, and then like notice a day later when I went on Snapchat that they were snapping me walking around the office to send to everybody on their Snapchat of me and my baggy pants. Needless yeah. to say, I haven't worn them since. <laughs> Brothers, man. Brothers. Max, do you ever wish you had a brother? Uh, no, because I got you as my brothers. You know? Seriously, I, I, got, I got like 15 brothers that I hang out with all the time. That's the sort of sweet, heartwarming thing that makes Greg sick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it because because I'm part of the brotherhood. I, I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I'm not a part of this podcast. When I see you guys on the counter, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, yeah. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, a, a curious, Greg, because you've never, I mean, you've been in bands with your brother and you grew up with your brother, but... Uh, what's it like to work with your brother? That's sort of, a lot of people don't get to work with their siblings. Just to frame things for our listeners, for those of you uh, who don't know, uh, Greg also works at much for the Bell Creative Agency as a producer and writer. But this isn't our first job together. We've worked together. We had two jobs. Okay. We, uh, we, at one point in our lives, we worked at Silver City Ancaster as uh, working in the, uh, the Taco Bell. We did. Uh, yeah. Did you guys get to have your favorite movie listed on your underneath your name tag? We did. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Greg, what was your favorite movie? Stand by Me. Stand. Ooh, yeah. Greg is sort of like a sentimental guy in a funny kind of way. And you, American Beauty. Whoa. Happy. I was I was a deep seventeen year old. <laughs> did you really at the time were you like I'm making a statement? I just really loved it. I actually just thought it really moved me. Oh, really? So yeah. you weren't, it wasn't like a cred move? It was, it was in the back of my mind. I was like, <laughs> some smart girl's going to come in here and she'll see that. And she'll be very And impressed. she'll be like, ooh, American Beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else had like Encino Man or Billy Madison. <laughs> Mostly Shane, but. And you love Taco Bell too. Did you eat a lot of the Taco Bell? I gained 15 pounds working there. What we would do is we, so <laughs> they had like all of these RBOs, retail business outlets. Okay. So you'd have the Taco Bell, <laughs> you'd have the, slang, like the industry slang. You know, we got to keep it real on this podcast. You'd have the Taco Bell, you'd have the New York Fries, you'd have the Wetzel's Pretzels, and you'd have the Pizza Hut. Nice. I worked all of them. I was a fast riser at the old uh, <laughs> Silver City. Greg, did you work anything other than Taco well, Bell? Well, I was, I was still in high school at the time, so I couldn't work in the days like you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd just show up for my shift three times a week sometimes. Right. So I had more time to learn. Uh, and how did you guys leave the job? I got fired. Uh, uh, it was like, cause it was a seasonal job. So I had it from like, you know, October until it was like a three month contract. Okay. But then Christmas time kind of comes around. Everyone's hanging out. I don't really want to work. We're, everyone's playing pond hockey. So I, I was, I was supposed to go to a shift and then, uh, but my friends after school were like, we're going to go play pond hockey at the park. Uh, so I was like, oh, that sounds fun, but I got to work. I don't know. <laughs> And then I was like, I'm only 16. I'll probably get another job at some point in my life. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to play hockey now because I'm going to remember this more. So then I went and played hockey and I called in sick from the, like, the pond hockey park or the park. And I, it was like a wind blowing in a 
Nokia cell phone that I was just playing Snake on or something, and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I was like, oh, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling so good today, boss. And then uh, it, was, it was like, pass the puck. Yeah, yeah. It was like you could hear that in the background. And then my next shift, I went and they fired me. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Silver City is ruthless. You know, they fired Shane in an earlier episode. They fired. Vegas. Oh, yeah. How did you? How did you leave the 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 job, Mike? Well, I I was also let go at the end of my three month tenure. <laughs> okay. uh, but I I would goof around. Like basically, if I had friends come in, I would hook them up with free tacos from the Taco Bell. Oh, uh, nice. And I, I by, by the way, I got fired from Eastside Mario's because for a number of reasons. But one because I gave away so much of the free bread. <laughs> Can you, you give away free well, bread? Here's the thing. Yeah, if your friends come in and don't order anything and you just keep on bringing bread to the table <laughs> and and like Coca-Cola, then you can get fired. So we've all been fired <laughs> at some point. Yeah. All right. Speaking of Oscar nominated brothers, uh, Max, <laughs> we uh, interviewed Will Butler. We did. Yeah, I was back for this interview. You were. You were in the room for this one. And uh, we'll get to that. Actually, one thing, uh, since, Greg, you're here, uh, Greg was actually the first one to show me uh, Arcade Fire. Really? Years and years ago. Yeah, it was kind of funny because I do remember, um, I actually, I remember being in Toronto. It was like 2004, 2005, and their funeral record was on the year-end list. for Yeah. And I hadn't got around to it yet. And I remember like finally listening to it and just thinking it was incredible. It was like in our car early on because Greg has always been sort of like a, like an early finder of music. And again, we've discussed his sort of elitist uh, indie tastes. Yeah, that's right. And He's that was the curve, though. He, 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 he was, and that was one of the benefits because it was like always on in our car. Thank you, along with uh, Mellagrove Band. <laughs> oh, I do love Mellagrove Band. Another name to the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we interviewed Will, and uh, this was actually one of our sort of very early interviews, and it was sort of intimidating because, I mean, you know, the guy's been nominated for an Oscar. He's yeah, in the Arcade Fire, which is one of the biggest bands in the world. He rolls in fine company. I agree. And, and here's actually kind of an interesting thing is um, despite the fact that, you know, you know, we know lots of band people, we both played in bands, when you see somebody, you know, out and about who, who sort of lives in that sort of like elite status world like the hierarchy of bands it's a rare air yeah and the, yeah someone who's like you know who is a founding member of the arcade fire who's very like sort of culturally respected like i still find myself getting a little bit intimidated even though once you get to meet any of these people like you just realize oh they're just another person right like absolutely and and there's something very humanizing and great about that there's something very high school about the cool kids though it's like oh i'm sitting with the cool kids this lunch yeah. don't ruin it don't, don't blow it yeah a lot of times uh you know people's upbringing and experience aren't as different as you think they are necessarily and but you still because of whatever they've accomplished you still can find yourself a little bit intimidated and this sort of like almost even like created mythology that you maybe like impose on them that isn't even their hang that's your hang up no it's re- totally your hang up yeah which is uh yeah because i think one of the things with the interview is that he's a little goofier than than you might expect it's like because the arcade fire sort of has like a reputation for being sort of serious art rockers despite the fact that they play in arenas now but he sort of has like a kind of a sense a goofy sense of humor so, again, this is one of those interviews that takes place at much. We end up in a boardroom. It's yeah. me and you. We're sort of sitting there waiting for uh, him to come in. He rolls in wearing a sweater that says his name on his it. His name on it. That's just like his show gear now. Yeah. Which I kind of like. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, and it kind of like, well, it's that thing where it's like it either relieves the tension or maybe he's more pretentious than you think. Is it a put on or 
is it like uh, you know, a, like is he really trying to like express himself or something <laughs> exactly. in some way that you don't understand? So it's like I guarantee you though that you and I were thinking way, way more. too much about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one it's thing, like, dude, though, I just got a sweater made with my name on it. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's it's funny. It. Calm down. Yeah, what's your question? Yeah. Uh, which is funny because Max is wearing an Arkell shirt right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Will talked about being nominated for an Oscar, working with Spike Jones, yeah. being in a band with his brother. All sorts of fascinating and sort of uh, insightful stuff for anyone that's listening. So, uh, Greg, do you have anything to say before we get to Will Butler? Who's the cooler brother, Will or Win? Will. Let's go with Will. Will Butler for president. <laughs> <laughs> Said like a classic younger brother. All right, let's get to it. Are you in the podcast? Though? I am. What are you, what are you listening to? I listen to Slate as a uh, language podcast. Oh yeah, Alexa Valley. Yeah, yeah. I love and uh, Song Exploder. I listen. I just did a Song Exploder. Have you ever heard that one? Uh, I've heard of it. I've yeah, it's it. good. Oh, they cool. like break. They like break down songs that, like with the people, and they like do. They give them the stems, and they like go through the song. Oh, like, cool! About, like, drum sound and everything. I'm supposed one to be producing. I, we've joked that I should bring like a, a fake board. mixing board. You just got to make sure the red lights on. So a little more compression, maybe. See, you get material now. Uh, all right, well, let's jump into it. From your new record to Arcade Fire to scoring film, um, you seem like a really versatile musician. Uh, musically and creatively, what do you consider your specialty? Do you have one? Is there something you lean towards? Uh, I've, I've only recently have I begun to think of myself as a musician, and I've always just thought of myself as a person doing stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, and to me, I, I, I kind of think we're going through a golden age of folk art, like all this stupid internet stuff up and all that that's amazing and all the podcasts and all the everything and just people are making stuff and I feel yeah. I feel like I am part of like a folk art renaissance um, which means I'm good at nothing <laughs> right. but I do it all it's more like the, the <laughs> DIY sort of you can just create I mean I it's not even particularly DIY because I have so many expert friends and sure. engineers and people around to like help realize an idea but yeah I mean I guess I, I it all is equivalent in my brain like drawing a stupid drawing to post on Twitter and recording the music to a song and like thinking about lyrics are not disparate worlds they come from the same push to like create something for people would you say that's how this record came about I mean were these like sort of gems you had lying around for a couple years or was it a concerted effort to create this record specifically so there were a few songs that were were gems that had been lying around for a little while and then I and I had a pile of songs that were mostly finished and I picked ones that felt like I could do them quickly and do them justice quickly and then I wrote the rest of the album around that mm -hmm. um, in a way yeah just kind of to not waste can't waste any time that's an interesting thought because <laughs> I guess you know uh, Arcade Fire they put a record about every three years yeah. and then there's a lot of downtime so I mean when you're in sort of a band of that magnitude for some people they love the downtime they're like you know we're going to do a record we're going to tour and then I'm going to hang out for a while yeah. are you somebody that feels the need to kind of constantly be busy and working and creating well only recently has Arcade Fire figured out the right balance where we used to tour till collapse mm. and then rest until bored out of your mind and then record until you hate music <laughs> and then tour until you collapse. And now we've, at least on the touring side, we've kind of learned the balance of how much to tour. And then, so when the end of this tour was approaching, the Reflector tour that ended last year, 
I realized I didn't need a year off. I just was like, oh, I'm still young. I can do things. But normally it's, you want downtime to engage with the world and feel artistic. But we've kind of figured it out enough that, you, that now I can be on tour and still feel like a human being. Right, right, <laughs> engaged right. with the world. So in the past, maybe the downtime wasn't it wasn't as much, and then this one, you were like, "We're I, I know how to manage that time. It's going to be a little longer." Yeah, I, I, I had it figured out a bit more. Aside from just sort of doing this record, was being the sole creative voice for this record something that was important to you, coming from you know collaborative? Yeah, very much so, and that's partly why I, I stuck my name on it so baldly. Will Butler. Yeah. You're wearing a shirt, too. Yeah. yeah, for those that can't see, which I don't know how you would in a podcast, <laughs> he's wearing a sweater that says Will. Uh, <laughs> and just to... Because it's good to take responsibility. I mean, it's like makes it a little riskier. And the stakes are higher when you're Yeah, the design. stakes are higher. And I wanted... Because I could... I felt... I, I don't feel like I was hiding behind Arcade Fire, but I felt like I could have been hiding behind Arcade Fire and just been like, oh, I don't need to do anything because my legacy is taken care of. But I wanted to <laughs> right. do something that at least was a little bit like stepping off into the great abyss. Ah. <laughs> um, I guess going uh, back a little bit, your grandfather uh, was an acclaimed musician. Yeah. Your mother is a musician. Um, you grew up in the South. What kind of music was floating around your household growing up? Was music like sort of a big part of your upbringing? We didn't listen to a ton of records. Um, we listened to Thriller. Thriller was on a lot, because uh, I think everyone listened to Thriller, I believe. Uh, was your, your mother's a classical musician, though? She's a jazz musician jazz and a classical music. Like, she would play, she played a lot of Bach, and she would play bossa nova on the harp, and she would play rock and roll on the piano. Like, she was in a, you know, she would, she would lead blues bands and rock and roll bands and jazz bands and stuff, so she was all over the place. So there's a lot of her music. Um, and then we would... You know, we sing Christmas music and sing church music, and right. and Thriller was there sometimes, but we just didn't put on records that much. I think it was we were too busy living. <laughs> yeah, living, but outside of music, like just like yeah. outside doing things that kids do growing up, yeah. but not sort of super focused on music. Well, it was. I mean, I think from the outside, it was a lot of music. I don't. I can't appreciate how much music it was because. I was living it, but it, our right. family's just so freaking musical that it was, right. it's very deeply embedded. When did you pick up your first instrument? I Sit played down. piano in, you know, in first or second grade or whatever, and then I played clarinet in middle school. and Yeah, and then I started playing bass sometime in high school. Did you do the thing where you start high school bands? Did you, were your first bands with your brother? I guess there's a two-year two age difference? Yeah, I was mostly just playing along with Wynn stuff. The story of Wynn sort of moving to Montreal in the beginning of Arcade Fire, they're pretty well documented. You went yeah. to Northwestern. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a bit about growing up in Texas and I guess how you found yourself at Northwestern and then in Arcade Fire? Because yeah. they seem like pretty different routes. So I was in Texas until I was 15, just suburban Texas. Yep. Um, and then at 15, I went to boarding school for high school in New Hampshire, a place called Phillips Exeter. Was that, I mean, was that a, a decision that, is that something you wanted to do? Like, how did that come about? Uh, my dad went there. Oh, okay. And both Wynn and I were kind of happy to go. I mean, we went when we were 15, and it's about the time when you're like, this town sucks. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm getting out. Which everyone feels about it wherever they are, but it happened to coincide with actually getting out and going to a really 
amazing school. I mean, it's really intense. It's boarding school, so you're locked in with everybody. Um, so the highs are high and the lows are low. But it's it's a really it was a really amazing uh, experience. Um, and then graduated from high school and went to college in Chicago. Yeah. Um, which is cold, cold and dark. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, when when ended up in Montreal in, in about the year two thousand, and I was I visited a few times back and forth. I took I took a semester off my my second year of college university rather. <laughs> uh, my second year, I took a, a semester off and came up to Montreal and lived for six months. And we started funeral then. Uh, and then, yeah, just the timing worked out. Where funeral came out, my senior fall. Right. So I just had a hectic senior year of, of college. I, I guess while you were there, though, I mean, was the goal always to be a musician or were you interested in other things? Was like, I mean, was the band sort of something where you were like, yeah, I'll kind of do this and we'll make a record? Or were you like, I want this to be my life? Uh, no, I mean, that's why I took the time. I took the time to go to Montreal for yeah. six months because I was like, it's, it'd be stupid not to play in a band with my brother if we have this opportunity and I think it's good. And then I didn't stay because I was like, oh, It'd be so stupid not to finish college just because a college degree will probably come in handy. But haven't needed it so far. <laughs> but no, it's uh, the timing worked out very luckily. Like if I was a year younger and I'd had another year of college, I would have had to decide whether to like go join Arcade Fire in Montreal or go to school. But it was just like an extra four months. So I was like, oh, I'll just finish all this stuff and then finish in Montreal. Um, I guess, I mean, two years can seem like a lot when you're younger, yeah. I guess, but had you guys been close growing up the whole time? Like, I mean, to stay in contact, I guess once you get to that age, too. We got closer once Wynn left the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think typical of That's, most brothers, yeah. siblings. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, we were, it's, we've got a pretty good family, so it wasn't, we weren't like estranged or anything, but once he was, once he was out of the house, then I think we started to realize how much we had in common, and then musically we had a, a lot in common as well. So that proceeded from there. So I was always, I was always kind of the fifth Beatle for a long time, right. until I moved up to Montreal proper. So and you're the manager, right? Yeah. No, George Martin. Which is the fifth Beatle? Uh, I think you're thinking of Stu Sutcliffe. I'm thinking, oh, no, you're thinking of Pete Best, actually. There's a lot of there's a lot of this. I thought I was Nioko. <laughs> so. Shifting gears a bit, you and Owen Pallet uh, were nominated for an Oscar yeah. uh, for the Her Score, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, had you worked in film before? Like, was it something you pursued, or was it just a fortuitous opportunity? Like, how did, how does something like that even come about? Because it seems so kind of ominous. And well, so the whole band, Arcade Fire and Owen, did the soundtrack. And, okay. And me and Owen got the nomination because they only nominate two people. But it wasn't oh. it wasn't crazy that I ended up driving the project ultimately because. We were finishing Reflector and Winter Machine were having a baby and, you know, it was really intense to do a film like that the director... So you're there the day-to-day, -day, you're sort so of... So I was, like, very in it and writing a lot of the music. But there, there's a lot that's the whole band and there's a lot that's just Owen and there's a lot, you know, it's it's very collaborative. But, yeah, I mean, it came... We're, the band has been friends with Spike for a long time. I mean, since kind of funeral days, I think he came to some shows in New York and like real early on. When he was working on Wild Things, he would play funeral on set a lot, and uh, he did a he did the, a short film for us for the suburbs and a music video for the suburbs, and uh, so yeah, we've been kind of back and forth a lot. And then we just 
having the opportunity to work on a Spike Jones science fiction movie is like, I, I, yes, we will work on that. Right. And we knew the timing would be gnarly, but it was worth it. So, like, sort of being friends with him and having a bit of a working relationship with him before you do, you know, a full score, mm-hmm. was it intimidating working with him? Like, how hands-on is he when it's something like that? He's very hands-on, but we were, we were also more hands-on than the, your average movie composer. Sure. I mean, most times a music person will get a 90 to 100% completed film and just like... All right, put some music in there. <laughs> All right, make it two minutes shorter. All right, more emotional. No, slightly less emotional. There you go. Oscar. <laughs> so we were there, like, when Regime were in his apartment when he was working on the first draft, and then we would we sent him music before he even started filming, just, like, based on a couple conceptual shots and knowing the plot of the film and... He would call up and be like, hi, I'm in Shanghai. In two days, we're filming this scene on the beach. It's kind of like their first date-ish. So, like, send me a bunch of music that feels like someone's first date on the beach. Wow. And, uh, so we sent him, like, a bunch of music. And then he liked they, they There's a really amazing uh, uh, music producer on, on the project as well. It's a guy named Ren Kleiss, who's done all the David Fincher films oh, yeah. with um, Trent Reznor yep. and Attica and all that. Um, super talented. So we can, like... He would take stuff and chop it up and be like, now, now, recreate this. He'd be like, okay, I see what you're saying here. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So he'd almost give you examples of, the, of where they were thinking and... So like, so like, say for the beach scene. Yeah. Regine sent him six pieces and he liked one, but the one he liked was 20 seconds long. So Ren cut it up to make it two and a half minutes. And then I took that and wrote a two and a half minute piece and based then they, on the based on that 30 but but a coherent not just like a clipped up 15 second <laughs> loop yeah yeah uh, so then I wrote like a coherent two and a half minute piece and then they edited the scene so it was three minutes and then Owen took a stab at it and then I took a stab at what Owen had done and tried to reinterpret it in a specific way and so it was kind of this crazy uh this is just a real crazy uh, collaboration process over extended over a long amount of time. We're going it, through all of these different yeah. sort of like uh, reimaginings and sort of like yeah. because they shot the film in forty days or thereabouts, forty days of shooting, yeah. and and we sent them the music before they shot, and then I think it was eighteen months of editing or something or thirteen oh, months yeah. of editing. Just and then they shot more stuff and at the end. They switched the actress too. and they switched. They Samantha, completely switched yeah, the voice. Um, so it was a long post-production, which I didn't know was strange, but I guess it's strange. But it, it worked. <laughs> Pretty good movie. <laughs> Pretty good movie, yeah. <laughs> Once you got in, were you like, this is a lot more work than I thought it would be? Or was it about what you'd imagined? It was a lot more. It was very thorny. But just because you're, you're watching the film, you're trying to connect with these characters and then you feel like you have the connection and then someone else comes in the room and is like, oh, no, no, that's not it. And you're like... <laughs> But I felt, but I, but I really, I really felt something. He's like, no, it's too sad. Like, there's nothing sad about this music. Yeah, but it's got a piano in it, so it's sad. Like, (laughs) what do you think the piano's intrinsically sad? Like, obviously. Oh, okay. I will play it on a synthesizer. Oh, synthesizer's too cold. But a synthesizer's so warm and analog. Oh, no, too, too Blade Runner. Like, okay, I will play it on. Face. <laughs> yeah. They That's love it. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it's very... It's so subjective. It's so subjective. Yeah. It's everyone's... You realize 
how idiosyncratic your musical vocabulary is and how idiosyncratic everyone else's vocabulary is. It's terrifying. Right. Uh, were you sort of like, are you a big fan of movies in general or did you see it more as like another music project or were you like, this is cool, I get to work in the movies? No, I love, I love, uh, I love movies. Yeah. It was, it's, uh, it was really exciting. And just because Spike is so exciting, like what he's doing is so exciting and of the moment and very present that it, it felt, I felt really lucky to work on it. Um, and then it resulted, obviously, in the Oscar nomination, uh, which that's really fascinating. Not I guess, bad. Oh, <laughs> oh, this whole thing? Uh, but I guess you guys, it was a collaborative thing, but I thought it was kind of fascinating that maybe you'd gotten an Oscar nom as the younger brother, but I yeah. guess now it's sort of all of your Oscar nomination. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of... No, the, no, it's mine. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's mine. It's Will's, baby. I know, and yeah. it's to a certain extent. Yeah. <laughs> he gets a little piece of that. Is, is Spike like, a, like an authoritative guy, like when he's like organizing things as a director like what's his temperament like like whether it's like on set I guess we're on set much but like, uh, like no, in the room he's very very gentle okay. but he he wants to get what he wants but it takes him a while to figure out what he wants and, okay. he, and he wants to figure out what he wants in conversation oh, cool. with people and and in conversation with the film he's making so he'll make the film and I'll be like oh wait no it needs something else here and then it would it would be it was a very gentle process but you know it was it was, it was like the gopher digging that hole it's like I'm gonna keep digging <laughs> I don't hate anyone what I was gonna mention was uh with the brother dynamic you know there's that competitive thing that brothers have then there's also that sort of like you said as you got older it's like oh we have more in common than we don't and we're the only two people that probably know exactly how we you know, our personal experience growing up. Uh, do you find that there's a competitive streak, you know, being in sort of a collaborative as well, though? Uh, there hasn't really been a competitive streak um, because I'm so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Your temperament doesn't allow for such petty things. Yeah. No, it, it's been remarkably good-natured the whole time because we fundamentally know that the other person is not a crazy person, <laughs> even when they're acting crazy. It's like, oh no, I know that that is rooted in something, and I know it actually what it's rooted in, because we've been hanging out for like 32 years now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you find that, like, sort of having the same, I guess growing up, did you guys have the same sort of, like, um, artistic temperaments? Like, your influence is the same? Do you gravitate towards the same things? Like, did you like the same bands? Or was it almost like a, a divide? We... We like a lot of the same core bands, and then the fringes are quite different. Right. And I think temperamentally we're quite different. I trace it back to that he is taller. <laughs> um, no, he's a little bit more uh, plow forward, and I'm a little bit, I'm a little, he's more choleric, and I'm more melancholic. Okay. <laughs> he's a medieval terms we have different balances of fluids or whatever it was called <laughs> humors our humors are different gotcha <laughs> getting back to policy and stepping outside of like you know a juggernaut like mm. arcade fire juggernaut juggernaut uh <laughs> you know exploring your own voice um that can be exciting but can it can also be like really intimidating like you said the stakes are high uh putting yourself out there have you found the process of sort of creating releasing and now touring it uh i've loved it it's been very very fun and rewarding, and I feel I have grown as a human. Uh, no, it's good. the The high stakes has been has been pleasant because it means you you don't ignore people, um, and the actual communication around it, like playing music for people and talking to people about it and doing interviews, has all been really great and and has been 
in a large part edifying. And I've thus far I've been able to avoid the soul crushing internet search results sure. game. But maybe I'll get there. Give me give me a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you always been comfortable sharing your creative? Like you know, like if if, if say you know, when you're first screening this record or sort of playing it for people, like can you be in the room with people hearing it for the first time, or do you have that thing where it's like I can't really watch people consuming it? This time around, it was very easy for some reason. Um, I enjoyed it. I don't know why that is, but I'm <laughs> sure at some point I'll freak freak the f out. Um, you swear on the podcast. He can uh, get it. Freak the fart out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to put the disclaimer at the top. Yeah, yeah that will bleep that. Yeah. Yeah, a little e. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it, it was very easy this time because I mean, part of it was the project. I knew I didn't have a lot of time, and I knew I had songs that I liked, and I, I'm, I have no confidence problem. So I was like, oh, these are good. Let's <laughs> right. do it. Yeah. Like, here, do you want to listen to something good or do you want to listen to something bad? (laughs) Oh, you want to listen to something good? Here's my record. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a a wonderful sort of uh, trait to have, I guess, if you're going to go forward and and put yourself out there. Yeah. And then at some point, I'm sure that foundation will, like, collapse and I'll be, like, a heaping pile of tears. I'm like, why don't you like me? (laughs) The chorus is so catchy. Do you want me to, like, add another synth face or something? Or what what can I do? Will you remix it? Have you always um, sort of been confident like that? Is that is that relatively new, or is it something you developed, or were you just sort of like, you know, I'm going to put it out there, and I'm not too concerned? My bar for art is both incredibly low. I think of it as incredibly low, but I think it's pretty high. But all, all, it just needs to have one good thing about it. Like, there's a lot of movies I like that it's just like has one good performance or it has one really good scene and the rest of the movie is like so boring and awful but it just has one thing and then you're like that's great it justifies like you get if you get an album with three good songs on it it's like that's the that's like A plus A double plus it had three good songs on it if it has one good song on it you're like that's a pretty good song I'm not mad you put that out (laughs) but I think I also think that most songs most albums have zero good songs on them (laughs) so I was I was confident that I had at least three good songs on this album so I'm like this is like an A double plus like this should get every Grammy because there's three good songs on it like this is as, as many good songs as the Taylor Swift album like and that's a great album, A double plus it has at least three good songs on it so that's my bar just like very I mean, there's the classic, I think it's Howard Hawks, but a great movie is three great scenes and no bad scenes. Uh, that's what a great movie is. And you're like, okay, yeah, I, that's... I can make that record. But then it's actually quite hard to cross. But, you know, I currently believe that I'm crossing it. Right. And in 20 years, I'll look back and be like, oh, what an idiot. What a fool he was. Should have gone into paper. <laughs> um, we have three minutes left, by the way. I just got something in the ear. Oh, uh, see, that's a good producer right there. You don't need a fake board at all. Yeah. No, no, but I have lots of technology. Uh, yeah, <laughs> someone in the other room is like, thanks, Um I guess I was going to ask about the video for Anna. Yeah. Um, is that, Was that your concept? I mean, just being so hands-on. It's such an interesting video. It's a one-shotter, yeah. some graphics, just you sort of performing. Yeah. Is that something that is that your concept? Was it the director's concept? I was the director. You directed it. So it was, it was your the director's idea. concept. It was the director's concept. <laughs> How did you feel about the director's concept? I thought it was very easy. <laughs> How was the director's temperament on set? He was a little bit in a hurry the whole time because <laughs> the campfire was on and he wanted to make s'mores. How many takes did he demand? 
I did. So I did the first night. I did uh, three or four takes in the grass, and the next, and then I went in and ate my s'mores. And then the next night, two night shoot. I was three nights shoot. Three nights shoot. Okay. Where was it? But like a fifteen minutes each. Three nights of fifteen minutes each. <laughs> For yeah. work, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was in rural Arizona, like uh, east of Tucson, uh, Cochise Stronghold. I was just on vacation. Right. Had a tripod. Just hanging out. Nice lens on a fine camera. Um, our video person would have had me rent a nicer camera because the Canon, you know, the Canon SLR thing's a little bit played and it looks a little bit like 2009 now, but anyway, <laughs> it was so much lighter, I knew how to use it. Um, so yeah, I just had the camera. I knew I wanted to do a video. I, I worked on a couple more complicated things and then I was just watching takes and I... There were three or four full takes that were pretty satisfying, and I considered editing them. And then I was like, "No, it's better as a performance. You get a little, you get a little, you get the arc of the song in a full performance." And then I was like, "I'm gonna put some doodads on top." Yeah, uh, more complete piece. Yeah. Uh, I guess. And the then last... it's like the best music video of this year. <laughs> oh, easily. <laughs> it's like at least top ten. Yep. And yeah, certainly top fifty. Top 50. And probably top a hundred. A plus plus record. And yeah. then what would you give the the video? Like a 9.9 <laughs> out of eight. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. This is the part of the show that Max calls the dessert. Uh, our friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, is here. Hello. Shane. Hey. Shane. How's it going? How's it going? Well. Great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So Shane, um, you know, you regale us with a story about being a weirdo teenager. Uh, and, and I think I was a normal teenager. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, Max is referring to last week's episode where Shane uh, talked about uh, meeting with Ashley Madison, uh, founder of Noel Biederman. Yes. And, uh, and if you haven't listened to that story, podcasters, go back because it's pretty yeah. Max was very concerned about that being released, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, that's a whole other story. But uh, what's, uh, what have you been up to this week? Uh, our friend got married basically. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, back from that feeling good. It was my first time really integrating girlfriend, Alex. Shane told us that he was in like with the, uh, a new girl named Alex and things past- are heating up even more. Well, you brought her to the wedding yeah. we were all at this weekend. Yeah. She was yeah. looking good. She was <laughs> almost, almost too good though. Like I was a lot more fired up about this a couple days ago. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> what were you fired up about? Well, this kind of annoys me when you bring a new girlfriend and, like, you integrate it into the friends just, like, because then your guy friends, girlfriends all get to meet her. Okay. And then inevitably they, like, a couple were coming up and they're like, oh, you better treat this one good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, she's a real keeper. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then this one girlfriend, like, the girlfriend, my friend's girlfriend who I know the least, like, I, I barely talk to her. She comes up and is inordinately rude to me. And she's like, you'll never do better than Alex. And I'm like, ha yeah, tell me about it. Like Alex Hold is on, sitting She just came there. up to you straight up. And yeah. And, and Alex in. hears this. Yeah. So, so I'm a little like humiliated, but I'm like, ah, this, this will pass. And uh, she comes up again and she's like, no, you in particular <laughs> will never do better than her. <laughs> and I'm like... That's so mean. Because <laughs> uh, I don't want to say, like, how do you fight that? I don't want to say, I can do better than this. <laughs> Alex is sitting right there. But, you know, like... It is an insulting thing to say to anybody. Yeah, and then she's like, no, it's a compliment 
to uh, it's, it's I'm like, no, it's not. She's like, yeah, it is to her. And I'm like, OK. And then I found out Alex was offended by it, too, because uh-huh. she's like it made her feel like she's dating some f- loser or something. <laughs> feel like. And I feel like it's kind of like. <laughs> thanks, Mike. Uh, not helping. Uh, national podcast, but uh, International on the web. But um, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of like pushing women's rights back like 20 years, too, in a way, okay. because. Walk us through that. No, hear me <laughs> out. <laughs> because it's all about looks. Right? Like, what does she think? I, I'm only into Alex. Like, if anything, the prettier the girl, the worse they are, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you are a woman's rights advocate. <laughs> no, but I just feel like it was all based on aesthetic value. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. And to me, and like, why not just like say I'm ugly? Why does she have to find like some clever way to say that Alex is so much hotter than me? I, I didn't, like, uh, yeah. I don't know. I found it. It, very insulting. And it's the, what's insulting, too. This is the hunkiest I've ever been in my life. Like, I can't do better, and that's the thing. I, like, it was so insulting. Shane, have you seen any movies or heard any good tunes You're, lately? You have one job on this show, and every yeah. week you fail to deliver. I, I did. Okay, yeah, I saw a couple movies, but we want to talk about Blue is the Warmest Color. It, all three of us have seen that film. Yeah. I liked it. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not used to talking about movies. Uh, I've only done it once, one other time. <laughs> okay, to give the viewers some context, uh, Blue <clears throat> is the Warmest Color is a French film, um, and it basically follows this girl from kind of like high school, grade 11, grade 12, all the way till she's like basically a young adult, 26, 27. And it's sort of like her journey through life. She's sort of, uh, at some point, she starts, you know, she's dating boys, and then she starts to realize she's maybe attracted to women. She's bisexual, lesbian, and it's sort of her like, discovery of that but then also just sort of going through life relationships all that stuff it's a long movie it's like two and a half hours yeah it's, it's, three, it's actually three hours three hours yeah and uh this kind of made it this movie made a huge impact when it premiered it uh can it's can or con okay. who knows <laughs> whatever <laughs> um because it's so uh, explicit and graphic the sex scenes yeah it's one of those movies you almost even though it is three hours you need to watch it twice because <laughs> <laughs> like um the first time you watch it you like, I'm sure you jerked off to it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's what? True. What, Shane? What? Like, Come on. Max, did you? I watched it with uh, Lauren, actually. Yes so or no? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> did you, Mike, though, honestly? I'll abstain. Okay. Which I did not do while watching answer. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the first half is where it gets very uh, sexual. Yep. As she's discovering herself. And I thought the realism in this movie is insane. Like, it just felt so real. So you get invested very early on in the love story. You're basically watching this girl grow up. I thought she, she like, she was, I think, had an amazing performance throughout. And even when she was, she cried, like, the whole Mm -hmm. movie, basically. And she was always a very snotty crier. And it was how you cry. It was how you cry. She was amazing. Like, and, 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 like, it was, she's, like, kind of a gross crier. Mm -hmm. I've seen It's like when you see, like, Bieber go to the ground at the VMAs. You're like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And then you see the girl and you're like, wow, that's how I would cry. And that's how I have cried during a a breakup or whatever. The first half of the movie is really good, but the second half of the movie is unbelievably great. And it's so real. And I know I I said I cried at the Backstreet Boys movie, and I did, but I was kind of in a a bit of a a mood. Like, I was hungover when I saw the Backstreet Boys movie. This movie is dead sober, totally into it, and I, like, cry-cried while watching it. It's Oh, my God, yeah, you're crying. So relatable. It's very, very emotional. When uh, Lauren... uh, 
broke up with me for about a week, she uh, used the line uh, from the movie because she knew we'd both seen the movie. She said, I forget what the line she's like. I thought you were going to say where the girl's like, eat my (laughs) 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 Which was my favorite line from the movie. (laughs) So you would recommend uh, Blue is the Warmest Color. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, What what out of 10 would you give it? Uh, Jeez. I hate to be uh, an easy critic, but I say another 10. No, honestly, though, like, it's one of the best movies. And I think you said it might have even been the best movie you've ever seen. I didn't say ever seen. I said uh, in the last, like. Greg said that. Yeah, no, in the last couple years, it's, like, one of the best movies I've seen. It's so awesome, that movie. Yeah, like, if you've ever cheated on a uh, person... Uh, and then they've caught you, and then you kind of beg for them back and had a moment like that, which I don't know. I know I've had a couple of those. (laughs) (laughs) Not proud. It's like the worst. It's the worst feeling in the world. And you just, if you've ever had an experience like that, you can relate to it on such an intense level. It's like I was like bawling. Like I've never cried before from a movie or anything. It was like so intense. You don't know. Very cathartic. Yeah. Another thing the movie does really well is just like, sort of just like the uncertainty young people have of like when they first fall in love and just how nervous you are mm-hmm. and how you don't know how to react to things. It was just like, I just like the mood of the, of her like growing up. Yeah. Like I feel like I really identify with. Yeah. Or, or when, when you're first in your big relationship and things inevitably do kind of go in the boredom. Yeah. Right? But you, you, uh, you misconstrue that for that you're falling out of love, so you kind of get interested in someone else. Yeah. But you don't realize everything's inevitably headed to that comfortable phase regardless of what happens. So you kind of don't appreciate the relationship as much until it's gone, and then you're like, like I had something done. really yeah. good. Apparently that director is an intense mofo. Like, he yeah. like made them cry. Yeah. They're literally like licking each other's ass in the movie. Yeah, like they are. Like You can't fake that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> speaking I've from tried. experience, <laughs> try. <laughs> All right, that's enough. That's our episode. We would like to thank our feature guest, Will Butler, for coming on. We would like to thank my little brother, Greg Veerman, for coming on. You can follow the Mike on Much podcast at Mike on Much on Twitter and Instagram. All of the artwork for the Mike on Much podcast is done by Jenna Gregory at jennasdoodles.com. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.